0: 1 Peter 4.12 Peter says this, Beloved, don't be surprised at the burning trial among you. Don't be surprised at the burning trial among you. Peter makes this statement because he knows that the Christians to whom he writes are presently enduring persecution. Peter makes this statement because he knows that that persecution that they are experiencing will only intensify as time passes. Beloved, don't be surprised at the burning trial among you. In the nation of India, on May 23rd, just a week and a half ago, two evangelists, one named Bernard Christopher and the other Ravinder Gautam, were beaten, tortured, tonsured, which means to have their head shaved, by approximately 42 Hindu militants. The militants forcibly reconverted them from Christianity to Hinduism, so they thought, and threatened to kill them if they did not flee their village in India. That was a week and a half ago. Beloved, don't be surprised at the burning trial among you. If you go to persecution.com, it's the website of the Voice of the Martyrs, you'll find a list of 19 Christians who are currently imprisoned for their faith. Ten of those 19 are sitting in a Chinese prison today. One of these Chinese prisoners is a female Christian journalist by the name of Li Ying. You see a picture of her behind me. This woman is nearing the midpoint of a 15-year prison sentence. Her crime, publishing an underground church magazine. Beloved, don't be surprised at the burning trial among you. Well, those are far off, Pastor Neil. I I can't relate with things in the east. How about something just to the south? The nation of Mexico. There's a pastor by the name of Ronaldo gomez Tone, who leads Alas de Aguila Church in Los Pozos. It's a village in Chiapas, Mexico, on the southeastern corner of the nation. The picture behind me is a picture of one of the evangelical women and her children in that church. In their little small village in Chiapas, he and 65 of his evangelical parishioners have been without running water since January of this year. It's been five months. What was their crime? Refusing to participate and pay for pagan, religious, drunken festivals. Beloved, don't be surprised at the burning trial among you. I could go on and on with stories of present-day persecution. A week and a half ago, two evangelists were beaten in India by 42 Hindu militants. Li Ying has been in jail for seven years serving a 15-year prison sentence for publishing a Christian magazine in China. And a small Mexican church has been without running water because the town bosses have cut it off to their homes because they refuse to participate in and pay for a pagan drunk festival in the town. Don't be surprised at the burning trial among you. Friends, what was true of Peter in the first century, what was true of his audience to whom he wrote in Asia Minor, is true of Christians today. There is a burning trial among you and I. In this world today, Satan and his forces are on the offensive against those who name the name of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, intense persecution, torture, and execution of Christians is real and it happens every day. Whether you and I are aware of it or not, Christians are under fire today. The title of my message is Christians Under Fire. I urge you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 12. 1st Peter chapter 4 Christians under fire what we see in this text today is still occurring in the world around us and even in our own country let's read this text together 1st Peter 4:12 to 19 Peter says this beloved do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial He is glorified. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Father God, Lord, we recognize here this morning that suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. Father, this side of Your Son's eternal kingdom, we recognize that there will be suffering and persecution afforded to those who name the name of Jesus Christ, Your Son. Lord, I pray that today's message, as we hear from 1 Peter, as we understand it by Your Spirit, I pray that that You would speak to us, Lord. I pray that You would help us to understand why it is that we suffer and how we can suffer well. How we can suffer in such a way that would bring glory to the name of Your Son. Father, help us to be good sufferers, to endure unjust persecution when it comes our way. And may we surround others who are being persecuted with care, prayer, and help as we are able. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse 12, Peter says this Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing were happening to you. We've been in First Peter for some time now. We're getting to the end of this book. In fact, this is the last of three messages. We have three messages to go today and then two more. And we'll be done with this book. And one thing that you can be sure of as we've gone through the book of First Peter is that suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. Peter's made it clear time and time again to the Christians in about 63 A.D. in Asia Minor, to whom he's writing, he said, hey, get ready, because suffering is coming your way. He's spoken about it time and time again in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and even in the earlier parts of chapter 4. And so we might find it strange ourselves for him to make the statement that he does in verse 12. He says, "Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you." You see, Peter's urging his readers not to be astonished by their suffering, and this means either one of two things. Either one, Peter's audience did not expect to suffer for their conversion to Christ. Probably not the case. Or option two, Peter's audience did not expect their conversion to Christ would lend them to such a severe and relentless persecution. Option two is much more preferable. Peter, in essence, is saying don't be amazed by the level of severity of the persecution that is coming your way. Don't be surprised by the severe Suffering that you are now encountering and will encounter. Peter knew full well that their conversion to Jesus Christ meant suffering. It came in various levels. On some of the lower levels, if you will, they would be verbally mocked by their peers, incur the social alienation of their friends and family, But what Peter's audience did not anticipate and what he wanted to warn them about was the level of hostility that would be shown toward them if they continued to live their lives in utter devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Such Christians were enduring heavy and overbearing suffering. Such Christians who named the name of Christ and continued in full devotion to Him would soon experience overbearing suffering that would shake their very souls. And Peter wanted them to be aware of it. He did not want them to be taken aback by the intensity of the hatred against them. Nor did he want them to question God's faithfulness or to question the goodness of God if in fact they were to endure harsh suffering or even death, martyrdom. This brings me to my first application. I want to go through the simple applications we have bit by bit through this message. The first application is this. Friends, we should not be astonished when we incur suffering or persecution. That's exactly what Peter's trying to tell you and I. I say this because it is often the case, in my own experience, as a young pastor, I've already received numerous comments to the effect of, Neil, why am I going through this when I'm being faithful to the Lord? There have been numerous instances in which people have come to me and said, why am I enduring this aspect of suffering in my life when I feel like I'm maturing in the Lord and living a faithful life toward Him? Friends, don't be surprised. Don't be astonished. Don't be taken aback when we incur suffering or persecution. I would venture to say it happens all the more to those who demonstrate fidelity to the Lord Jesus. I don't want us to be confused that suffering in this life means there must be something deficient in my walk with the Lord. Don't make that assumption. In fact, it's very likely that the opposite is the case. That you are suffering because you are unswerving in your faith in the Lord. On the contrary, if you're not experiencing any kind of suffering or persecution, if you're living a life that is rather enjoyable and whimsical and easy, simple, If you're not encountering any kind of resistance, it is those times that I might question whether or not you have a vibrant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not altogether the case, but it is something to consider. Usually speaking, persecution comes to those who are in the game, persecution comes to those who are in the fight. We should not be astonished when we incur suffering or persecution. In a previous message related to the topic of suffering in 1 Peter, I made mention of the fact that Christians in Orange County don't typically experience such intense persecution, at least, not the kind that we see Peter describing in his book. To an extent, I actually regret making that statement. Because I think, as I said, it is often the case that the level of suffering and persecution that we incur is often in direct proportion to our fidelity to to the Lord Jesus. To put it another way, Satan does not pester apathetic or wayward Christians because their impact on the world for Christ is already muted by their own sin and self-indulgence. On the spiritual battlefield of life, the only ones the enemy is concerned with are those Christians who have put on the armor of God and are prepared to stand and defend the cause of Christ. If only we were truly living every second for our Lord and Savior, it is those times that we would catch the attention of the enemy. I want to say very clearly, let us never let the weakness or the impotence of our faith be the reason the enemy ignores us. Let it never be the weakness or the impotence of our faith that is the reason that causes the enemy to ignore us. May our faith be strong. May it be unswerving. And regardless of the suffering and persecution that comes our way, may it remain steadfast. Peter says, don't think it strange when you incur suffering. Instead, verse 13, he says, But rejoice, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Instead of of thinking it's strange that you're going through difficult trials, Peter says, I want you to rejoice. Instead of being awestruck by the level of suffering in your life, instead of wondering whether God still cares about you, Peter says, I want you to rejoice, to be glad that you have the opportunity to experience, if only in part, what it must have been like for Christ to take on the suffering that He did. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. Peter is telling us that it is an honor, it is an honor to be able to suffer in a manner similar to that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' victory over sin and death by suffering and dying on the cross was the crowning achievement of of His earthly life. It was the crowning achievement of His earthly life. God incarnate willfully gave His life for sinful mankind. It was extraordinary. And Peter says when you suffer, you are identifying with that crowning achievement. When you experience persecution, you are identifying with the crowning achievement of the Lord Jesus Christ, suffering and dying on the cross to atone for the sins of the world. And that is why, friends, there can be a sense of joy in the midst of suffering. Peter and the other apostles experienced this. In Acts chapter 5, we see a story in which Peter and the apostles were thrown into prison and they were questioned by the high priest They were told not to preach in Jesus' name, and look at what it says in Acts chapter 5. It says, when they, the disciples, excuse me, when the the Sanhedrin had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So they, the disciples, departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. Peter says there is joy to be experienced when you are beaten, suffer, endure trial on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moreover, Peter says there's an exceeding joy. There's an exceeding joy that awaits the Christian who suffers in this earthly life. For when Jesus' glory is revealed, you will be glad with an exceeding joy. Why is that? Because when Jesus' glory is revealed, when Jesus returns and manifests His glory and sets up His earthly kingdom, He will take the glory that is due Him and He will hand it to the faithful saints to be rulers and to be administrators in His kingdom on earth. When Jesus' glory is revealed, you and I, will be exceedingly joyful. Why? Because if you read throughout the entire book of 1 Peter, you will see time and time again Peter saying, Jesus wants to take His glory and share it with all of you who have been faithful to Him. Exceeding joy to you who have endured unjust suffering. You will be reckoned a special part in the eternal kingdom of God. You will be especially rewarded for your life of suffering. You who glorified the Lord Jesus Christ will be compensated for your good deed. And so, the second application first, we notice that we should not be astonished when we incur suffering or persecution. Secondly, when we are faced with a trial, when we're faced with suffering, we must stop and consider. How can I glorify Christ in the midst of this? How can I glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of this particular element of suffering? Are you in trouble financially? How can you glorify Christ in your financial difficulty? Are you experiencing estrangement from a family member? What is it that you can do today that will glorify and lift up the name of Jesus Christ in the midst of that trial? I don't know what trial or what suffering you were experiencing. I don't know if you're being persecuted for your faith today. Could be the case. Whatever the case may be, Peter says, find out how you can glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when His glory is revealed, He wants to give you a part of it. And if you endure unjust suffering well, if you go through hardships and trials and perform as the Lord Jesus Christ would have you perform, He'll take that glory and share it with you in the kingdom of God. That is why Peter goes on to say in verse 14, if you're reproached... For the name of Christ, blessed are you. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, Peter says, Blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. Friends, those who are reproached, those who are insulted, those who are made fun of, those who are mocked, because of the name of Jesus Christ, because of their Christian faith, are blessed. Peter's just said in verse 13 that they're blessed because they're going to share an inheritance in the kingdom of God. But moreover, in verse 14, he says, you're blessed in the here and now because a special measure of God's Spirit rests upon you in the midst of that persecution. Blessed are you For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That is to say, the glorious Spirit which comes from God rests upon you in the midst of your trial. God affords us special help in the midst of suffering. He affords us special rest. Times in which we can lay our head upon His shoulder and trust Him through the difficult times. To you who are suffering today, I, I want to remind you, Peter saying very clearly in verse 14, God has specially given you a measure of his spirit right now. You who are enduring suffering, whether it's a medical problem, health problem, marital problem, problem at work, raising your kids, whatever it is, you who are enduring suffering today, there is a special measure of God's spirit upon you. He is helping you and assisting you He's comforting you and encouraging you. And He's urging you to rely on Him. To rely on the glorious Spirit that comes from God. On their part, that is to say, on the part of the unbelievers, the pagan Gentiles of Peter's day, God is blasphemed. Those who insult and persecute Christians blaspheme God. They insult the Most Holy God. But on your part, to you who suffer willingly on behalf of the name of Jesus Christ, on your part, he is glorified. The believer who faithfully endures brings glory to the Lord. Back at the start of verse 14, we see Peter make mention of Christians receiving reproach or or insult or accusation, if you will. Now in verse 15, we're going to see an interesting statement which might shed some light on some of the insults that they may have received. Notice verse 15 and 16. It says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Murderer, thief, evildoer, busybody. Obviously the first term catches your attention, doesn't it? Does Peter actually believe in verse 15 that his readers might be considering the option of homicide as a way to retaliate against the persecution around them? That doesn't doesn't ring true, does it? It doesn't seem to be the case that Peter is suggesting that the Christians to whom he is writing are contemplating murdering those who are causing them suffering. doesn't seem the case. So if that's not the case, what is it that Peter is saying here? I think he's saying two things. On the one hand, he's just using a rhetorical way of saying, don't suffer for your own wrongdoing. On the one hand, Peter's saying, don't suffer for what you do wrong in life. Don't suffer for murders. Don't suffer for stealing. Don't suffer for being an evildoer. Don't suffer for being a busybody. Don't experience or incur suffering upon your life because of what you do wrong. Instead, Peter says, suffer because you name the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 16. If you're going to suffer, it better not be because you're doing something wrong. It better be because you are lifting up the person of Jesus Christ in your life. So on the one hand, Peter is is letting them know that their suffering is only warranted when it is done in the name of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, there's a fair amount of evidence that leads me to believe that these terms, especially the term murderer, was used because Peter knew, in fact, that some of the accusations being leveled against the Christians in Asia Minor were, in fact, these same accusations. They were being accused of being murderers, thieves, evildoers, and busybodies. We see this quite clearly just a few years later when Emperor Nero blames the burning of Rome upon the Christians. They're the murderers. They're the ones who burned Rome. 1 Peter 2.12 speaks of slanderous accusations that the Christians had incurred from the pagans around them. Peter might be alluding to these. He might be, in in a sense, saying, I know that you've been accused of murder. I know that people are giving slanderous accusations out against you. And he's saying, in the midst of all that, I want you to remember why you truly suffer. You suffer because you're a Christian. You suffer because you name the name of Jesus Christ. I think oftentimes uh, we, we suffer because of our wrongdoing. I think it's most often the case that, that I suffer and you suffer. We suffer because of what we do wrong. No, I don't think many people have murdered. Maybe a few of us have stolen a few times in our life. I'm sure that, you know, evildoer is something that we might be able to call ourselves once or twice in our life. Busybody, I I'm sure we many of us can resonate with being a busybody of sorts and meddling in other people's affairs. We often suffer because of what we do wrong, because of our own sin, because of our own sinfulness. And Satan uses that suffering, which is a suffering that is completely unbecoming of the person of Jesus Christ, which is a suffering that does not afford any glory in the coming kingdom of God. But Satan uses that suffering to confuse us that we're experiencing suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. In other words... Sometimes we find ourselves in a financial bind because of our own hastiness with the credit card. Some of us find us, find ourselves in family problems because of our own inability to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So Peter's well aware that it is often the case that Christians are suffering for things they do wrong. And he says... That doesn't get you anywhere. Don't confuse your suffering for your own problems with suffering for the cause of Christ. If you're going to suffer, Peter says, make sure it is because you are unswerving in your faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure that it is because you are a Christian. A Christian. That word Christian there is used three times in the New Testament. It's it's not common in the Bible. We call ourselves Christians today, but but really the term was not in common use in New Testament times. In fact, there's good reason to believe that the Christians did not call themselves Christians, but rather that the pagans first called themselves Christians at Antioch. In other words, that the Christians who were gathering there at Antioch in Acts chapter 11, when it says they were first called Christians there, it is most likely the case that the culture around them used that very term, as a slanderous charge against them. Oh, those are the Christians. Those are the Christ followers. Just like those are the murderers. Those are the thieves, the evildoers, the busybodies. Peter says, don't suffer for those bad terms. Suffer for that horrible term, that term Christian. The term once reckoned as shameful by the Roman culture, and now Peter takes it and elevates it and says, suffer for this great term. Suffer for naming the name of Jesus Christ. The Roman historian and senator Tacitus said the vulgar, the vulgar, that is the pagans, called them Christians. Which leads me to believe that Christian was a term appointed unto those who named the name of Jesus Christ. The latter part of verse 16 are commands. Peter says very clearly in verse 16, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, as that reviled term in the culture around them, let him not be ashamed of that term. Don't be ashamed by that designation. That's a command. Don't be ashamed by the name of Jesus Christ, but let him glorify God in this matter. Glorify God with the term Christian. Christian. In what manner might we glorify God? In the manner of being called a Christian. Some translations have it, but glorify God that you bear this name. Verse 17, For the time has come, the time has come, Peter says, for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, you're going to see some colors up there. I did this uh, very intentionally. In yellow, you're seeing... Well, it, really, in both seven, 17 and 18, you're seeing two arguments that go from the lesser to the greater. In the yellow, you see what, what might, we might term as the lesser argument. And in the green, you see the greater argument. Argument from the lesser to the greater. Peter says in verse 17, if judgment is going to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, if we are the first to receive it, how much more so, Peter says, in effect, how much more so will the end be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, if those people of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are scarcely saved, Peter says, how much more so will the ungodly and the sinner appear? That is to say, how much more so will it be judgment for those who deny the name of Jesus Christ? Arguments from the lesser to the greater. Now verse 17 again. He says, the judgment has begun at the house of God. What is this judgment? I think very clearly in the context, it's the judgment of God with respect to temporal earthly suffering. This is not a judgment that ends in condemnation. This is a temporary form of judgment, a temporary form of suffering being experienced by Christians right now on earth, Peter says. For his audience, it was the first century Christians in Asia Minor. He says, the time of judgment is at hand, and it's beginning right here at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, if we're the first to incur temporal pain and suffering, if we're the first people to incur this level of intensity, and we're the faithful ones, how much more so, Peter says, will the end judgment be for those who disobey The Gospel. Verse 18, which is a loose quotation of Proverbs 11.31, he says, And if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? If God's judgment slimly passes by those who profess faith in Him, it will certainly not pass by those who deny Him. Why does Peter do this? I think it's hope of vindication. Hope of vindication, friends. Peter wants you to know very clearly that your labor of love, your endurance of suffering, it will be for a time. And to all those who have caused you that pain, to those who have mocked you, insulted you, reproached you, and in so doing blasphemed God, God, Their time is coming. Their time is coming. The judgment is coming. It's beginning with the Christians in this temporal earthly life, but it's going to end with those who deny the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good, as to a faithful Creator. In light of the hope of eternal vindication following a time of temporal suffering, Peter urges his readers to commit their souls, that is their very lives, commit those lives to the faithful and true God. He will not abandon their labor of faith. He will reward their commitment to Him. Though they experience pain and persecution for a time, He will one day repay them with an incalculable eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. Two things, two very simple things we learned today. One, do not be astonished when you incur suffering or persecution. Don't be astonished. Don't assume that God is somehow upset or mad at you. Don't assume that it must be some deficiency in your own life that is causing this to be inflicted upon you. You can look for those things. You can look for the ways in which you've done wrong and you know it. But in the end, don't attribute your persecution and suffering to God being upset with you. Rather, I think it is often the case that when we incur persecution and suffering, it is according to the will of God. Verse 19. It is according to our faithfulness that the enemy pays attention to us. He doesn't pester those who aren't in the game. Two, when faced with a trial, stop and consider how to glorify Christ in the midst of it. How can I glorify Christ right now in the midst of this suffering that I am dealing with today? But before I leave this message, uh, I started with um, three stories of the persecuted church around the world. In India, two evangelists, beaten, head shaved as a symbol of their supposed reconversion to Hinduism, threatened to be killed if they didn't leave their village. China, a lady in a 15-year prison sentence, all because she published a Christian magazine. Mexico, in Chiapas, no running water to the evangelicals who refuse to pay and participate in a drunken festival. There are others. There are many others that I could mention, but I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12:15 and also in 1 Corinthians 12:26. In Romans 12, he says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep." 1 Corinthians 12, with respect to the church. He says, if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Um, And I'm using that rather loosely. Paul was primarily focused on the local church. But I'll tell you folks, we should be able to identify with these stories. We should be able to identify with the persecuted church around us. And I am uh, impressed by this message, by this text today. As As Peter is speaking of the fiery ordeal that Christians go through. And as we've heard stories of this fiery ordeal, I want to ask us the question, how can Coast Bible Church care for those, those other believers, who are being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ? I don't have an answer to this question. I'm asking the question. I'm asking you the question. How can we, as a church family, both in our midst right now, how can we care for those of us in this body today who are being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. And moreover, how can we somehow, some way, show our care, our love, our camaraderie, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, with those Christians in other countries, other parts of the world, who are being tortured, suffering, experiencing heavy persecution for naming the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know the answer to this question. But I'm asking you to consider it. I'm asking any of you who have a heart for this to come and speak with me. Maybe you have some ideas how our church can become identified with the universal church. While you and I may not see this, friends, it is happening. People are getting killed because they call upon the name of Jesus Christ. It is happening. One of our missionaries, Yvonne Noelesti, who is now a pastor in Florida, and was a pastor in Haiti, spoke of multiple instances in which the Christians in his village would have, burning, would have tires lit by the hostile militants and these fiery tires would be thrown over the Christians and they would burn to death. It's happening today. And I don't feel comfortable not doing anything about it. And I don't think any of us should. So I'm asking you to consider, what role can you play, your family play? I can give you some websites if you're interested with your family and you can pray for these folks. But what role can we play in supporting, in loving, and caring for the persecuted church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, our hearts go out to those who are currently suffering on behalf of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, it's pretty clear that the enemy is paying attention to those who are faithful. That the enemy is paying attention to those who are unswerving in their devotion to your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we in our lives in South Orange County, we we don't always see this, Lord. And I, I don't know, Father, if it's because our faith is in some way deficient I don't know if it's because you blessed this nation with a Christian heritage and we're seeing the fruit of that. I don't know, Father, what these answers are, but I do know, Lord, that that suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life, this side of your Son's kingdom. And, Lord, we want to be in the game. We want to be in the fiery ordeal, glorifying your Son, Jesus Christ, in the midst of unjust suffering. Lord, help us to not think it strange when we incur suffering. Help us to know how we can lift up Your name in the midst of these trials. And Father, guide us as we consider how we can partner with other churches, other Christians, in other parts of the world who are undergoing heavy and intense persecution today. Lord, I pray for the stories that we just mentioned. These are stories that are active today. I pray for those two evangelists in India Lord, that you would help them heal from their, their beating. That you would not cause their faith to be weakened by this incident. But that you would make them strong. I pray for this woman in China. Lord, she's, her crime is publishing a Christian paper. Oh Lord, I pray that you would embolden her faith. Remind her, Father, that she is doing your work. Father, I pray for this village, this evangelical group of Christians in Chiapas, Mexico. Lord, they're without running water, and they have to travel miles to get water because their town is persecuting them. I pray, Lord, that you would intervene and that you would especially guide these persecuted Christians. Help them to live well in the face of persecution. Lord, may Coast Bible Church find innovative ways to partner with those who are afflicted for the name of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.